This week on Priority One, we trek out Star Trek's New York Comic Con offerings before heading to the Paley Center red carpet for interviews with the cast of Star Trek Discovery. In Star Trek Gaming News, we review some of the coming events in Star Trek Online and the mobile game Star Trek Fleet Command. Then we hear from you in feedback. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by GamePrint. We thank them and our patrons for their support of Priority One Podcast. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 433 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly report of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, October 8th, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, October 11th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kat. I'm Anthony. And before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in on the weekly conversation. Whether via social media platforms like facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod, or by email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We also encourage you to voice your opinions and give us feedback. For instance, you can use the voice memo feature from your mobile device to send us a voicemail. Just send it as an attachment to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Maintaining these features would not be possible without the support of our patrons, listeners like you, who support the ongoing production of this show by offering a financial contribution each month. This month, we welcome a new patron, Howard Robeson. Thank you for your support. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash Priority One Pod and check out how you can become an admiral in the Priority One Podcast listener fleet. Now, Captains, of course, we understand that giving up your hard-earned money is a big ask, especially for our podcast. But there are other ways that you can help support this production. One of the greatest ways you can do that is by engaging with us on social media. Be sure to hit that like button. And more importantly, share the show with your friends. When we post an episode or a piece of headline news, be sure to share it and tell your friends that they can get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news right here on Priority One. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jump what places? I don't know. Then let's check it out. If you want to wake up in a city that doesn't sleep, then you go to New York City. But if you want to start spreading the news, well, you also got to go to New York City. That's exactly what Star Trek Discoveries and Picard teams did for the Star Trek Universe panel, hitting Madison Square Garden on Saturday, October 5th. At 1 p.m. Eastern, Discovery's producers and stars, including Michelle Paradise, Heather Caden, Alex Kurtzman, Sonequa Martin-Green, Doug Jones, Mary Wiseman, Anthony Rapp, Wilson Cruz, and David Ahala took over the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden. While the team was, predictably, tight-lipped, 
they did shed a little light on Discovery's romp 930 years into the future. Series lead Sonequa Martin-Green gave insight into the direction of the season, saying, That's what's so exciting about season three is that when we jump to this future that we don't know of, that's full of uncertainty, like, like we've all been saying, we have to grapple with um, how, how that's going to affect how we see ourselves and then how we're going to navigate this. And sometimes it's ugly and uncomfortable and inconvenient and hurtful, but duty calls. Trek rookie David Ajala told the Madison Square Garden audience that we'll meet his character, Book, straight away. Cleveland Booker you will meet in the first episode. You'll see early interactions between Cleveland Booker and Michael Burnham. It's slightly unorthodox, but very exciting. The Star Trek Universe panel video can be found in our show notes, so trek it out. But that's not all. The Discovery team brought a goodie for the New York Comic Con crowd, Discovery's first season three teaser trailer. The one minute and 10 second video, which ends by promising the new season in 2020 can be found in our show notes. All right, guys. So what did you think of the trailer? Oh my God. So excited. Looks so good. What were you saying about Booker? Book? Yeah, I like his name. It just seems like, I don't know, maybe a nod to Firefly with Shepard Book. I'm going to go with it. (laughs) I think the thing that I'm most excited to see is the future Star Trek races that we know from TNG era that we've already seen in the trailer. Trills, possibly a Cardassian. Lorian from Deep Space Nine. Seeing them interact with the Discovery crew, seeing the, you know, situation in the future with the Federation and, you know, finding out what happened between... Picard that we're going to get, you know, and talk about later, we're going to get early next year and season three of Discovery. I, it's it's exciting. It's exciting times to be a Star Trek fan. And um, this is great because we're getting, a, we have a new Star Trek show that was back in canon and now it's in the future and telling future stories. It's, I, you know, it, it blows my mind that we're at this point in the Star Trek franchise, really, that they feel like they can do this and people will watch it. I think that's exciting. So here's my rampant speculation about season three. According to the panel, if I heard it correctly, is that Burnham is separated for over a year from the Discovery crew. My guess is that there's some sort of timey-wimey dilation thing happened. Dilation's probably not the, the correct physics term for this, but what happened in the Kelvin timeline where Spock went in and then Nero went in, and even though they went in at ver- almost the same time, there were still a few seconds. There were still a few seconds off, but that few seconds in time travel ends up being like a year's gap. So Burnham goes through the wormhole first. A few seconds later, Discovery goes through, but those few seconds translates to a year before Discovery makes it to 930 years in the future. So that's my. That's what I'm speculating. Because it's from the trailer, it kind of seems as though Discovery kind of hits the ground running. Whereas Burnham, there's this little montage and her hair changes and it grows. We don't see that really with Discovery. So I'm going to speculate that the, uh, Kurtzman is going to pull that rab- that pull that trick again from the 2009 movie. It makes sense. That makes sense. I like that too. The other thing is that... All right, so we're, gonna, we're on Trill and she's obviously going to be in the Trill caverns and soaking in trill goo is it possible and and i was talking to 
Lawrence about this while we were having uh, drinks together after the Paleyfest event. Is it possible that we may see Dax? I mean, if they don't, that would be a missed opportunity. It makes sense. I mean, in Star Trek Online, and we do know that, you know, they sent over the story documents, Dax is supposedly... A Dax is the captain of the Enterprise J. And I know that that's not all the way to this time frame, but that's that's the furthest ahead that we've heard of of a Dax and and their position in any form of of, you know, Star Trek. So, it'd be interesting to see if they continue that trajectory and and bring Dax in. My speculation is that the reason she's in that bath is because that's the the quickest easiest way to communicate what's happened in the last 930 years to her through like the electrical the the symbiosis oh, the symbiont stuff yeah fluid. exactly <laughs> that relationship maybe that's she's in the she's in the goo and then they basically communicate the history of the galaxy for the last 930 years to her via that method yeah that's not it doesn't sound unlike Star Trek in any way, shape, or form. Um, now, to be clear, when we're talking about Dax, we're not talking about Ezri Dax. We're not talking about Jadzia Dax. We're talking about the, the Dax symbiote, mm-hmm. right? The little creature that lives in the trill belly. So that is, in theory, ageless or or ha- doesn't die, right? As long as it gets into a new host body, can continue to live on and live on and live on. Really? They don't die ever? The symbionts? They live for a really long time. Do we even know that? Uh, yeah, I mean, she's been around for however many years. Well, and so this is the other thing, too, that, that Kurtzman said during the panel, which was really interesting, is that one of the things, one of the recurring phrases and recurring ideas that Kurtzman and Caden and Paradise kept saying were was that they are married to canon. They are the, the canon is their bible. So Kurtzman said that the idea is that you know we're gonna see familiar things from Deep Space Nine, but that they want to build on the Trill culture. I would you know similarly to how they built on Klingon culture. Yeah, even Bajoran culture too. I mean. That was like a whole new thing, but yeah, that you know a lot about it by now. I think that they're very liberal with with their beholdenness to canon, and I don't mean that they that they're not like strict within the canon rules because they try to be as much as as much as they can while still being a new show in in 2019 and 2020. But I feel like they conveniently miss things in canon and we've talked about this in the past the Baul looking very similar to Armis and then Heather Caden saying oh well we you know oh yeah didn't yeah, notice yeah. that or the look of the the nanites from the AI looked very borgish and a lot of like the way Leland was talking was very borgish and again Heather Caden said uh, oh we didn't make that connection and so i'm sure that they that they're picking and choosing what they want to use from canon, but I, I, I honestly don't think that they're as strictly beholden to canon as they might say they are. But, Captains, we caught up with several of the Star Trek stars at Paley Fest New York during a red carpet event. Now, let's check out our follow-up questions for Doug Jones, Sonequa Martin-Green, Anthony Rapp, Mary Wiseman, and Wilson Cruz. Well, so I want to ask you some gaming questions. Uh, Why not, right? So I'm curious, how involved were you during the recording process with Star Trek Online? I mean, I had the script, and so I had to, you know, my job always as an actor is to bring the script to life. 
but it was really this, the material was really good. So I didn't have I didn't have to say like, well, do you really want me to say that? So it was more just about like getting to play the different tonal shifts along the way and involved in the sense of just getting to talk with them about like what they were asking for, or looking for. But it was also pretty like. I don't want to say self-evident like it was simplistic, but it was very well-written in the sense it made sense, so then I could just, like, lean into it. Right, that's what it felt like, that you were able to just lean into stuff. Yeah, and it's like, he's in my soul and in my bones, so it's kind of like putting on my favorite shirt now. So, and it was a cool way to be in a different space, headspace, and different environment to just kind of, like, zero in and focus in on just... It's not, you know, when you're doing voice work, it's not simply the way your voice sounds. It's part of, that's all that matters in the end, but I'm so physically committed and, you know, but it's a different kind of focus and you kind of like just get in a rhythm with it. So it's like two or three hours only work. I mean, it's pretty fast, but it's like, it was intense. Well, it's been great cinematic, wonderful in the game and you've been, you were fantastic. So thank you so much thank for lending you. your my, voice. It was an honor and a joy. I know you get a lot of uh, talk and there's a lot of praise about finally having explicit queer representation yeah. in Star Trek. I'm wondering what you think is the next thing for Trek to do. Um, I think, you know, continuing to explore gender stuff is really important and meaningful and I think that's going to be part of our of our future storytelling awesome. stuff. Um, you know, like there's all different ways that Trek talks about race and 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 inequality, and I think those stories continue, especially now, need to continue to be agitated and explored. So, Great. yeah. And you know, it's like race, the way that Trek talks about race usually is different races of species. Yes. You know, we don't talk about race as humans so much, but yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks yeah, for thank your time. You. Yeah. Mr. Hi. Cruz, how are you? Good, how are you? Yeah. Well, thank you. you know, Look at that thing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it looks like something from Star Trek. Actually. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> I've gone stopped at the airport quite a bit with it. I bet. Um, first of all, I want to thank you for how brave and courageous you are to represent so much diversity. As my family emigrated from Cuba, I'm first generation American, so representation is phenomenal. So gracias. Gracias, bye. But honestly, you know, you're thanking me for something that I am honored to do. Uh, it is my honor to represent. Latinos in this, and it's my honor to represent the LGBTQ community. Um, and it's an honor because we are part of the world. And there's no reason in the world why we wouldn't be a part of it. And so it's, I'm glad that, that Star Trek and media in general has finally caught up to that reality. Well, I want to ask you, being in Star Trek now, do you find that you want to voice the voiceless, give voice to the voiceless even more now that you're part of such a history of television, of representation. Yeah, you know, I've never had, um, you know, I've, I've always been a big mouth, is the point, right? But now I just have a better platform. And, you know, I'm, I'm aligned with a franchise that has always been talking about these issues and to these issues and has always challenged us to be better, to um, live up to our potential. It's the easiest uh, world for me to slip into. Um, I feel like I have always been a Trekkie because I believe in the ideals that are presented through this franchise. Over the last season and a half, there has been a lot of discussion among the queer fan base about Cobra's story. Yeah, whether, Yeah, if you hadn't noticed, um, the tropes, what we're supposed to take from it, what do you hope that people in our community take from this story. I was talking to a friend of mine just yesterday at dinner saying, 
There aren't a lot of examples uh, that I can point to on a personal level of long-term gay male relationships, right? Um, and I long for examples of that. What does that look like in our community? And part of it is not letting go when it gets tough. It's about staying in it and doing the work and keeping hope alive, even under the most dire of circumstances, like death. Uh, but that, you know, that's a metaphor for what, are, what should happen in a relationship, right? Is I'm always going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm always going to make you an example of hope for me. I'm always going to hold you up to a, to a bigger ideal um, because I know what you're capable of. I hope that's um, what people take away from this relationship, that these are two extraordinary individuals, geniuses in their own right, empaths, but when it comes right down to it, they've chosen each other and they will continue to choose each other. And, and, you know, the Admiral said it to me last season. She was like, love is about, relationships and love are about choosing to love that person every day. And I hope that that's what people remember when they watch us. That even throughout everything that they've been through, every obstacle that's presented to them, they choose each other every time. We're from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Oh, hi. Hi, Roddenberry. <laughs> and, uh... I love Saru. Thank you. I do too. And anxiety and fear. And we, we saw Saru dealing with this a lot in season one. After Vaharai, we saw the change. But we're seeing maybe sometimes he's a little bit careless, like the fight in the mess hall. Is that something that is playing into this character where he's learning how to deal with not being afraid? Does that maybe... Is, is that a continued struggle? Sure. Uh, I think it's... Uh, to, to me, it's kind of like I, I equate it with, with turning 18. And, well, you, my parents can't tell me what to do. I'm 18 now. Right? So there's, Saru's might be experiencing a little bit of that. But through it all, he is maintaining his gentlemanly ways. And his, his, he is a follower of the rules, mostly. And he, he really does believe what Starfleet stands for and, and, and the ideals that, that are ingrained in him now. That won't change. But, uh, but leading without fear now, he can do that now. But, like, but things like, like not breaking up the fight in the mess hall, there was a reason behind it. And he did explain that. that these two needed to get that out of their system, and they were better off for it. Uh, violence is, he doesn't promote violence, but that was a situation where there was some energy that had to be steamed off somehow. So they did it. <laughs> and no, nobody, nobody got broken, thank heaven. In Star Trek canon, you could potentially be the first alien to take command of the title ship and have already in so many ways. How does that make you feel? Well, it's, yeah, it's funny. Over the first two seasons, the captain's chair was left empty a couple times, and I was the next one in line, so I took it uh, as acting captain. I've never had the captain title or rank just yet. Saru hopes so, uh, but he also hopes so for Burnham because they, they love and respect each other enough. They really want that for each other now, too. What will happen in 930 years from now? Will there, will there be a federation in a Starfleet that says, oh, no, we want one of our own? Or will there be us self-governing? Or what, what state are we going to find the world and Starfleet in when we get there? We don't know yet. So there's a lot of those un, unanswered questions as we go into season three, but much potential. That's a really good point that you bring up. You know, in Voyager, uh, we saw that there was this battle of making sure that Starfleet ideals were maintained. In Moving into season three, 
Are those are similar questions brought up? Oh, absolutely, sure, sure, sure. Uh, I think I think in any season, uh, are, are we living up to our the ideals that, that we've established? Is this who we are? Every decision has to go through that milling process, uh, and we're still doing that, of course. In the future, um, you know, uh, we we land in a in a in a time we don't recognize, obviously. Uh, so, thank heaven we have those ideals to cling on to, and each other. Uh, we do we do cling together as a family on our ship uh, because we've been through something you know unheard of together. We left a lot behind. We have a lot new to explore ahead of us. All we have is each other and those ideals. So uh, it's paramount that we keep them. Well, Mr. Jones, thank you so very much for chatting with thank us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Captain Killy, how are you? I'm good. Good to see you. I'm good to see you too. So I do have to ask about Star Trek Online and you lending your voice for that. What was that process like for you to step into your alter ego for the game? Oh, that was so fun. Um, I, we only got a little bit of time with Killy, so getting a little bit more time to think about the character and play around was such a gift. I've never done anything like that, any voiceover work. Um, so it was really exciting and a new challenge and um, also something familiar. It was like uh, a marriage best of both worlds. Did you have an opportunity to see some of the animation and the cinematics for the game after after it was released? I did. It looks so amazing. I can't believe it. I mean, it's weird to see yourself in, in digital form, but it's also like really freaking cool, so I I, uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought they did a wonderful job. Have you and Anthony Rapp shared some behind-the-scenes talk about uh, Star Trek Online and perhaps any future projects? Um, uh, no, but I mean, we could. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Looking towards uh, Season 3, we know that Tilly has had some rough family relationships, maybe not the best with her mom. Is she looking at leaving everything behind as an opportunity, or is there a different sort of mourning process or loss process she has to go through? And that's an interesting question. I mean, I think whether this will be a good move for her remains to be seen. I think that no matter how complicated your relationship with your family is, there's still connections there and there's still, for Tilly at least, um, a lot of love there and so it's still painful. And I think honoring that experience is actually really important and I think the show does that. Even at the end of the second season when she says goodbye to her mother, I think she's able to acknowledge their differences and still also acknowledge and allow into the room what is there between them, the love that is there um, and the respect that's there. So I, I'm more interested in relationships that have nuance and that are complicated like that because I find that that's true in, in life um, and will continue to honor both sides of that experience uh, as she as she moves away from it, but it will be a you know a moment for her to step out and take this you know take the stage a bit because she is kind of unattached now and they're in a whole new world and so who knows what will come out of her you know. So we've heard from Doug that yes. Saru wants both he and Burnham to be in the captain's chair. Mm. How does Burnham feel about that? You know what? Exactly the same. Burnham feels exactly the same um, because you know we bonded so much. And we've really earned the brother-sister um, dynamic that we that we now know we truly have. And I think we both recognize that we bring out the best in each other. And we both recognize the best in each other. And I think we believe in each other so much that we would want it just as equally as we want it for ourselves. We have seen Burnham change so much in the last two seasons, but we've always seen her somehow tethered 
to something, whether it was Sarek or to Giorgio. What, is, what does she do now that, that might be gone? You know, that's a fundamental question. And that's a fundamental question that continues to get asked, and especially in this new future. And you know, it's really well said, actually, because it is a matter of what tethers you. Because now that we've left everything that we know behind us and all we have is each other, that is the question we have to ask ourselves. Um, and that's certainly a question that I ask myself as Burnham every day, you know. Of course, there's Starfleet and there's the Federation, and then there, but then there's also the personal question of what am I tethered to personally now that everything that I've known is behind me, except for the people that are right in front of me. So yeah, well said. We'll see. Thank you so much. <laughs> A huge thanks to Sue from Women at Warp for rushing to the Paley Center after her panel at the Javits Center to back me up during these interviews. So big shout out to Sue. And be sure to check out their latest episode of Women at Warp featuring an interview with Kate Mulgrew. That's not one that you want to miss out. So be sure to check them out. But that's still not all. Kurtzman referenced Short Treks, then said, quote, Last season, obviously, we had Captain Pike and Spock in number one, and that was an incredible... I think journey for everybody and uh, we heard you loud and clear how beloved those characters were and, and are and so we did uh, a bunch of short treks with them. The first one is actually dropping this very moment. It's live right now. And it did, but we'll discuss that in On Screen. A schedule was also released for the remaining five short treks following the already released episode titled Q&A and will continue on October 10th with The Trouble with Edward, November 14th with Ask Not, December 12th with The Girl Who Made the Stars and Ephraim and Dot, and will end on January 9th with Children of Mars. At the end of the trailer for Q&A, fans cheered and, as seems to be the case every time Spock, Pike, and Number One are referenced, there were calls for a Pike-led series with a response from Kurtzman saying, Did you hear that shout, that question? <laughs> Give Pike his own show? Yeah, that sounds like a... I love that idea. We'll, we'll, we'll bring it to the board. For links, check out the show notes. That brings us to our first community question. What was your favorite piece of Star Trek news from New York? Was it the trailers, the release dates, the newest short trek? Let us know. Now, about 45 minutes into the panel, the Discovery team was tagged up by the Picard cast and crew. Kristen Bayer, Hanel Culpepper, Heather Caden, Akiva Goldsman, Michael Shabon, Alex Kurtzman, Sir Patrick Stewart, Isa Briones, Santiago Cabrera, Michelle Hurd, Allison Pill, Harry Treadway, and Evan Evagora. Now, they said even less about what's to come in Star Trek Picard. The plot and characters of the highly anticipated series are under lock and key, but Sir Patrick brought goodies of his own. Star Trek Picard's second trailer. The team did spend a good deal of time sharing their memories of the show's genesis. Originally brainstormed to be a short trek featuring Picard, it immediately grew into something much bigger. But according to Akiva Goldsman, it was a hard no from Stewart, saying, Patrick walked in the room and was, you know, very um, reserved and gracious as always, but very unsure. And we pitched him. Wait, no, no, he he, he wasn't unsure. He he was sure. He was he was he was <laughs> said no. Sure about no. saying no. He was he was definitively he was positively negative about the whole thing. And yeah, that that was a no. I yeah. I know a no. Right. Later, Stewart spoke about the importance of ensemble 
and how this cast truly came together, saying, Well, you have used the word that has been most important to me since an April day in 1987. I looked on every aspect of Next Generation as being ensemble-based. And in fact, that has been very much uh, an indicator of where I was in my career, that the ensembles that I worked with, whether they were in the theater or film or television, have always been to me like another character, what the ensemble actually amounts to. And so when I think when we first met and talked in those early discussions, it was uh, my use of that word as the ensemble, the uniting of a group. Because, you know, here we sit, well, I can only speak personally, kind of in love with all these people on my left. And, and of course, the people on the right, too. <laughs> uh, and, and that's where the ensemble element comes from, and it's very important. Now, perhaps the most telling piece of the creative process that they shared was about how they did not want this show to be a TNG reunion. Every character, every choice that they made had to influence and propel the story forward. A big concern was we did not want it to be, and especially Patrick did not want it to be a TNG reunion show. Mm. And, and I think what you'll, you can even tell from the trailer and what you'll definitely tell when you watch the series is we only brought people back if their story really mattered to the story we were telling. We didn't want it to be like, oh, and then over here is Riker, and then over here, you know. Uh, so, because I, I don't think the fans would have appreciated that either, and it was really important to Patrick, who obviously has long-standing deep relationships with these people that also if we're going to go to them and say join a show that's called Picard <laughs> that, <laughs> that we give them something significant to do and I think you'll see that each one of them has a pivotal emotional story to tell in in our 10 episodes you can track out the two minute and 46 second trailer by looking over our show notes. So I love that they keep saying this is not a TNG reunion show, yet every trailer we see new characters from TNG, which is fine. And, I, and I'm wondering if the reason why they keep saying that is because ultimately we're going to get every character back at some point, which, I mean, could potentially be good for the story anyway, because, you know, one, one, of the, one of the great architectural, you know, one of the great structural story pieces of Star Trek from the original series and TNG was that, like, certain characters in the cast represented aspects of the main character. You know, with the Kirk, Spock, McCoy, you know, tripod or Triforce... You know, you had Kirk, who was the, the lead, and then you had Spock, who was the logical side of him, and McCoy, who was the passionate side of him. And similarly in TNG, you know, you could argue that many of the, the cast were different aspects of Picard. And, and it would kind of make sense that through Picard's end-of-life journey, he's retouching those characters to in order to explore, you know, his life and, and his purpose now. I think... I, I just wonder if they keep saying this because we're ultimately going to get it. I just freaked out when I saw Will Indiana. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, well, at first I was like, who's that guy? And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> that's Will Riker. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think it didn't really like hit me till I saw Deanna. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm really emotional right now. I, I think it's important to 
differentiate between the concept of a reunion show and what they seem to be doing here. Like a continuing story. It's like not a reunion. It's like, hey, this is what happened after. Right. When I think reunion show, I think voyage home. You know, they're all going to commandeer a ship and go back in time, right? It doesn't seem like that's what we're getting. I wouldn't be surprised if we only see Will Riker and Deanna in a short scene in one episode of the entire season. Yeah, like where he goes to get help from Will in some way and then moves on and does his adventure. Right, right. Whereas with Seven of Nine, she seems as though she's going to be playing a more intricate and involved role in moving the story along somehow. Also, she's got those dual rifles or whatever she's shooting there. Oh my God, I want those so bad. I know, I know. Even though they're inviting TNG cast members back, I think it says a lot that they're not doing it as a, okay, now we're going to go off on an adventure together, but instead they're coming in to help propel Picard's story forward in some way, shape, or form, which I am fine with. Let's face it, I would love a TNG reunion show. Like, of course, for all of them, like, for all of them to get back on a ship and do some kind of adventure together, that would be amazing. <laughs> Who wouldn't? But... If this is a Picard swan song, then this makes sense. Their lives have all progressed. They are no longer in Starfleet. They are each on their own paths in one way, shape, or form. And for all we know, Beverly is in fact the captain of the Pasteur, and they're going to, he's gonna need her for something uh, when he's off gallivanting with his ragtag renegade team. Kat, you may have freaked out when Riker and Troy came on, I freaked out when I saw Data and Picard in the TNG uniforms. Was it or a flashback? Was it a dream? Which was obviously a dream sequence. Well, that was clearly a yes, dream sequence. It was heavily implied that it was a dream sequence, but I don't care because just seeing those costumes like in HD in the new show, like like new Star Trek in those uniforms, that freaks me out because I grew up with those uniforms every day after school at four o'clock. I wonder if they sent those uniforms to Sweden to have them dyed the proper colors the way they did for Discovery. I wouldn't be surprised if those are redos of the original. Like, I I wouldn't be surprised if somebody pulled those costumes out of storage or out of somebody's collection. Nah, no way. Why not? No way. Those, those I bet, their bodies have changed. Mm. I mean... And that's the diplomatic thing I'm going to, the way I'm going to deliver that is that everybody has evolved and matured. And so I, I strongly believe that they would probably have redone their costumes and refitted them and re-sewn them and sent them off to Sweden to get them properly colored and dyed, you know, the way they did with the discovery for true reds and true golds and true whatever else we might see. They looked so good. They looked so good. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer, status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Captains, before we move on to Star Trek Online and other gaming news, we need to take a moment to thank our sponsor, GamePrint. With their help, we were able to provide you coverage throughout New York Comic Con 2019, including all those hot tweets you got during the Star Trek panels at Madison Square Garden and 
during Paley Fest New York. With their help, we were able to upgrade some of our equipment to make live streaming from mobile a little easier. So we are so very grateful for their ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. And now as we move into the holiday season, you might want to nudge that special person in your life or family member to look at getting you a ship from Gameprint. And just announced today, the Alachi Qualish Frigate and the Kelvin Timeline Heavy Destroyer are now available to print. So get those tier six ships and display them proudly along with all your other Star Trek memorabilia. Now, for those of you that may not be aware, Gameprint is the company that allows you to 3D print virtually any ship from Star Trek Online in any configuration that you have in the game. We're talking about hundreds of ships and their variants that you can explore by visiting gameprint.net. And with the update to their website that allows you to actually sort by ship class, choosing a ship should be really easy. And that's the best part of their website. You don't have to be a Star Trek Online player to browse through their library and choose a ship that another player might have already uploaded. You can even change the name of the ship to whatever you want it to be. So truly customize your ship and display it proudly at gameprint.net. We thank them and our patrons for their support. This week's Stow News is all about upcoming events. Star Trek Online Awakening, along with the new event UI, patrol UI, and the new patrols, launches on console on October 15th. The Mycelial Crisis event brings with it all of the rewards we've discussed on the show previously, like the Tier 6 Alachi Qualish Frigate, 8 Alachi Crescent Wave Disruptor Weapon Packs, Daily Scaling Bonus Dilithium, and more. I also want to mention that there was a big uh, PS4 update today that allows you to remote play to an Android device. So I will probably be playing on console a lot more because I bought a a phone holder for my PS4 controller and I can lay in bed and play Stowe on my PS4 now. I'm very excited. Wow, that's interesting. And I can play Red Dead Redemption online in my bed. So giddy up. All right then. The Kobayashi Maru is stranded and in danger again. From October 17th through November 7th, captains above level 50 on PC can participate in this featured TFO event. Working with a team of five players, complete at least three levels per day of this TFO to earn daily progress. Complete 14 days of progress to unlock the event prize, a Kobayashi Maru resupply beacon device. Details of the device have yet to be announced. And in our second community question this week... Now that the new Star Trek Online Patrol UI has had a little time to settle in, how do you feel about the new system and the new patrols? Let us know in the comment section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our social media community question post on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I do want to offer our sincere condolences to the family of Nin Zombie, who was active on not only watching the podcast, but in our live stream and in the Armada, who passed away last week unexpectedly. But he loved the podcast. He, his family made it a point to post on our website how much he liked Priority One. And uh, oh, wow. yeah, it was really touching. So we dedicated our show Saturday to his memory. In Armada news, we have uh, quite a few. Well, all of our fleets with the colony upgrades are getting really close to all full tier five, at least on the Fed fleets. So Alpha and Gamma fleets are 
almost done with all their tier five upgrades to colony holdings, you know, give or take. The KDF fleets are really close to getting those first upgrades online. I think House of Martok is in the lead at the moment. So congrats to all the work uh, that everyone has done on those fleets, or congrats to the people contributing. So thank you. We really do appreciate it. And if you didn't know, the Priority One Armada has regular events like TFO Tuesday. Every Tuesday, we you know join up to run TFOs together and earn stuff, marks, dilithium, all that. And we have special events like we are going to announce. We haven't yet. So special announcement. Our Halloween costume contest, though it's not, you know, that's surprising because we do one every year, but we haven't announced the theme yet, which we will do next week on the live stream. But we are giving away some T6 ships, we're giving away some other really cool prizes, so make sure you check that out. Now it's time for our weekly top tip. In an effort to lend a hand to new players, or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's our weekly top tip. Today's tip can help take some frustration out of a TFO that can be difficult for newer players or uncoordinated teams, specifically the Zenkethi Front TFO. The initial objective of the TFO is straightforward. Destroy some Zenkethi battleships to steal their protomatter bomb devices. Next, you must carry the bomb to within range of one of five Zenkethi mobile bases and activate the device without being interrupted. This is where the objective can become frustrating if you're not prepared to work as a team. Even a single hit from a Zenkethi enemy will interrupt your activation of the bomb device, making it a long and difficult slog to clear all five bases. But here's how you can be a hero to your next Zenkethi front team. Before entering the TFO, equip one of these to your build. The Tethered Non-Baryonic Asteroid Ship Trait, the Graviton Displacer Universal Console, or the Tractor Beam Repulsor Power with a Gragamal Duty Officer to change the repulsor into a pull effect. When your teammate picks up the bomb device, just escort them to the mobile base, trigger your equipped power of choice, and drag the enemy ships to a safe distance away until the base is destroyed. You'll want to ensure that you've built your ship with enough toughness to handle any concentrated fire thrown at you by pulling a group of enemies close to you, of course, but then you can bask in the gratitude of your teammates who appreciate your strategic thinking. As a bonus, similar tactics can prove useful to other TFOs like Gravity Kills or Operation Repost. Give it a try. Yes, Gravity Kills and Zenkethi Front are two of the most frustrating TFOs, and um, this is this is a great way to sort of circumvent, you know, having a disorganized team because if you especially Zenkethi Front, if your team is not on point as to what you need to do and what the objective is, then that can take forever. In other gaming news... Early this week, the Star Trek Fleet Command social media outlets dropped a new video teasing the release of the Armada feature in the month of October. And within the game itself, details of the new system were outlined in patch 8.0 release notes. According to the patch notes, quote, Players use an armada to band together with members of their alliance to form a greater force that is capable of taking on tougher enemies, end quote. These new enemies appear as armada targets within level 20 and higher star systems. They can only be attacked by armadas, not solo players, and are immune to many combat bonuses and abilities. Defeat these armada hostiles to earn armada credits and upgrade your armada control center. 
Leveling up the control center will unlock improved rewards in the Alliance store. Beware, though, because as you gather your armada forces to attack the armada target, another armada could arrive to attack you and take the target for themselves. For full details, check the release notes in the in-game news system. For a look at the video, follow our link in the show notes. That's it for this week in gaming news. Now let's look on screen for the first episode of Short Treks, titled Q&A. On screen. In this episode of Short Trek, it's Spock's first day aboard the Enterprise. However, like most first days on a job, nothing ever really goes according to plan. He and number one get stuck in a turbo lift, and our first Star Trek musical episode is born. I think that these short treks are, the word that comes to mind is cute. Like these are fun little trek nuggets of joy in some cases that are like B story scenes that might've made it on a cutting room floor or something like that. They are, but they're, they're just delightful though. They're just like little other glimpses into the whole universe. I mean, from all the other ones from previous, you know, last season and the Calypso and all those are fantastic. Even the Harry Mud one, I didn't mind, you know, as much. I mean, let's be honest. This is to get people to resubscribe for more months before, you know, the new episodes of the new show. <laughs> You're but right. I'll be, but, but I'll I be honest pay. with you. I, look, <laughs> I'm the same way. I, I, in fact, I just re, I resubscribed today just to watch this short trek and I'm and I will leave my subscription through till you know, probably the end of discovery. Yeah, I left my subscription. I didn't even mess with it. So I, I think that I, these are like appetizers, right? You know, this is like the appetizer before you get the big meaty episodic, you know, season of a show. And I'll tell you what, anytime I can see more Pike and number one and Spock from discovery on screen, I'll take it. I don't care how short how long, how many episodes, how few episodes. Just give it to me. I want I want this show now. I want it now. Give it to me now. So, let's focus a little bit on on some on the the short track itself and not necessarily go scene by scene, but definitely certain things that remind us of the original series. I mean, for for starters, Spock transports up and starts yelling the way Leonard Nimoy does in in, in those first in that first episode of Star Trek. Reporting for duty. What a great throwback though. It's so great. <laughs> exactly, a great throwback. And I was talking to Allie just now. Uh, we we rewatched it in the break. And in the original series, they refer to Una as or number one as as a computer you know they're just you know he doesn't see her as a woman so to speak and here we have her taking command of that and saying yeah i am i don't let your quote-unquote freak anything don't let any don't let them see anything that would I don't know, almost humanize you right it because if you want to be in command you have to be more than you know, big, bigger than life, so to speak. What what I love, and I'm glad you mentioned the original series, and this specifically, obviously, the cage, because that's where we see these characters. But I feel like they took these glimpses and reactions from Magell's performance as number one, and really like explored that in this short track because 
just her reactions to certain things that Pike says to her. And now we're seeing this this sort of explanation for the thought process behind those looks. And I, I really enjoy that. And I, I feel like that's what you use these short treks to do, is you use them to explore the characters from these little tiny bits that came from, you know, what, we, what we've seen in the past. And I love that they're bringing the original pilot of Star Trek right to the forefront of Trek right now with season two of Discovery and with these short treks. It's just absolutely brilliant to go back to the beginning like that and to and to really bring that episode forward. Well, I think number one was always such an intriguing, cool character in that episode. You're just like, wow, look at her. What's her story? And this is just a, an amazing glimpse into that. It's so good. I love her. She And Rebecca Romaine, wow, she's fantastic. I have to say, I am not buying Ethan Peck. <gasps> what? He does the voice well. I just, he is another Vulcan character. I am not feeling Spock from him. Not in the way that I felt Spock from Zachary Quinto, for instance, right? You're, you're never going to be Leonard Nimoy, right? Never. But I don't know if it's just his face. He's just got this baby face that... Or is it in his portrayal? Although, I mean, you're a Vulcan. He's definitely playing Vulcan, but I don't sense Spock. I don't I don't look at him and I don't think Spock. Where, again, by comparison, Zachary Quinto, I'm like, yeah, all right, I can see that. I can see this actor stepping into Leonard Nimoy's shoes. I definitely had some reservations to start with, like at the beginning of season two of Discovery and when he first, you know, when Spock first came into that story. I will say that I quickly set those worries and concerns aside. I thought he did an amazing job in season two. Possibly for me, I don't disagree with what you're saying, first off. I, 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 I can certainly see that in this short trek specifically. Although I think it's because of where the character is in relation to, you know, because this is, this is the earliest we've ever seen Spock in Trek canon, right? Yeah, how old is he supposed to be? Like, older than 50-ish? No, he's the same, he's the same age as Kirk. They were born just a couple years apart. I, I see what you're saying that that Spock is in a different emotional state, maturity, as opposed to what we see later on. But Zachary Quinto's portrayal of Spock was also in a much different emotional state than what we had ever seen Leonard Nimoy perform. And yet I walk away from the Kelvin timeline going, yeah, OK, all right, I can dig Zachary Quinto as 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 Spock. Yes, this is. This is a, a excellent casting choice. Whereas, I, I don't know, Ethan Peck, not, uh, he's not giving a bad performance. It just, it, it doesn't tug at my heartstrings for Spock the way Zachary Quinto did. I'm not seeing it because I do like him. I think, you know, considering the timeline, I think he's doing a great job. But in the voice and his intonation and deliverance is, I think, spot on. But I can see what you're saying, because I did think Zachary Quinto was, he was great. And he's put, Ethan Peck has also put it in an impossible position, right? Because here he is, the third actor to f try to fill yeah, those Yeah, it's shoes. a huge mantle to lift. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it takes bravery to accept a role like that. But I, I wonder, 
I mean, it would have been great if Zachary Quinto could fit in. And, and the, the argument that, oh, you know, he's too old now to play. Uh, well, you can you can easily Vulcan Star Trek that away somehow. And besides, Zachary Quinto does not look old. He's very youthful. But I just think the casting wasn't didn't hit the nail on the head with Ethan, Ethan Peck. Yeah, I mean, I kind of understand what you're saying, but I, I I attribute it to the different experience levels for where Spock is. And I I enjoy his performance, and I believe him as Spock at that point in his career and life. I think for me, it's the lack of confidence, because he's not the confident Spock that... Because when you watch TOS, he's like... He like he 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 thinks he knows more than Kirk. I mean, half the time well, he does. And, well, yeah, and <laughs> but it's that it's that Vulcan arrogance, right? And and I think that and that Vulcan confidence, and I feel like that's the kind of slice that's missing in his performance. But yeah, I believe Zachary Quinto definitely had that. Right, exactly. And I feel like I feel like I, I believe it in in this point in his career within this story. You know, for me. Yeah, because he's been affected by the Red Angel, and and that we're just seeing like this little bit where he's, yeah, he's super messed up in the head because of all the stuff he's had to experience. Plus, acting is it's acting's in a different place than it was, you know, thirty, forty, fifty years ago. So, but that's why I'm not. It's not. It's I'm not necessarily comparing him to Leonard Nimoy. I'm comparing him to the character of Spock, which also evolved over the decades. I mean, up until the late '80s, early '90s, right? So, yeah, acting has evolved from the from the '60s for sure, and so has storytelling. What I'm saying though is that there is fifty, almost fifty years of. Leonard Nimoy playing Spock. Actually, there, yeah, yeah, almost fifty years of Leonard Nimoy playing Spock, and the character and the mythos around that character has been established. I, I, you know, and so I think it's it's not again, it's not necessarily Ethan Peck's performance. He's acting Vulcan, for sure. It just I don't, I don't feel Spock from him the way I felt Spock from Zachary Quinto, and Zachary Quinto did not mimic Leonard Nimoy. None of them did. I think that's one of the greatest things about the Kelvin timeline casting is that they were not imitating them, but they were emulating them and influenced by the original actors and their portrayals of their characters. Ethan Peck is, yeah, I get it. I I see what you're saying. It just doesn't, it's still not landing for me. Now, I want to go back to Una for a second. Ali and I were talking about this, like I mentioned. In the 60s, you know, and, and in the filming of The Cage, it was, it, they made a point to say, oh, there's a woman in command. There's a woman on the bridge. There's a woman number one. She's a computer. She's not your average woman, though. You know, sexist, a very sexist approach to it. Does her conversation with Spock put her in contr- back in control of that narrative and take back what was taken from Una in the 1960s? Does it give her a voice and uniqueness? Because it, seem, it seems as though it's her decision to portray herself as the computer, quote unquote, the computer, because she's she believes that that's what a command officer should be. And that's what she tells Spock, I think, is what. Right. Well, in the time for that era, yes, that's how you would have to portray yourself in order to succeed in the universe that you're in, which was very male dominated at the time. But for her, yeah, no, I think it was a great, like, how she did that, you know, 
And even if she was extra special, that didn't mean she didn't deserve her position or didn't excel at her position. But given the time where the original series was filmed, you would have had to have been like that in order to be in that position in the first place. So it's a catch-22 in a way. But I think she, Rebecca Romaine, like, took that moment and, uh, you know, she, wow, what a cool performance because it humanizes her. And yet, it still establishes her... Because she was the one, you know, controlling everything. She's like, Spock, do this. You know, she's the commanding officer. She commands. And she was extremely, you know, proficient in her position. Well, Captains, that wraps up our review of Q&A, the first short trek leading up to the series premiere of Picard. Let us know what you thought of this short trek by sounding off on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community question this week on our social media platforms. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Well... We didn't really ask any community questions in our last episode, but we did get some great reactions and comments from our listeners during our New York Comic-Con coverage over the weekend. Here are just a few. From Facebook, Jamal Taylor, about the Picard trailer. I'm actually hopeful this show won't be a massive letdown. That TOS-era bird of prey showing up on screen got me hyped as seeing Seven, Riker, and Troy. That said, I understand that they didn't want this to be a TNG reunion, but there are a ton of loose ends that this show could address, even briefly with pictures on a wall or a few calls made to collect on old debts. Fan service? Absolutely. Would it hurt the show in any way? Not at all. I want to give a shout out to Jamal for helping me set up the mobile gimbal. Turns out he had the exact same model, and when I saw it, I was like, dude, can you show me how you use it? And so that got me on a good start of being able to use the mobile gimbal on Friday uh, while I was walking around the convention halls. So shout out to Jamal. Thank you very much uh, for helping me out after Lawrence's Geek Life Rules Cosplay Cabaret, which was also a remarkable success. So thank you both for the invitation and for helping. Thank you so very much. From Facebook, Josh Truax writes, The trailer makes Discovery Season 3 look like a Trek remake of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. That was actually a pretty good series for the first season and a half before it suddenly went off the rails. Here's hoping Discovery Season 3 avoids that fate. I never got into Andromeda. Did you guys ever watch Andromeda? Mm-mm. Is it Kevin Sorbo in that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, see, mm-mm. Hercules no. in space. I know, I can't even. <laughs> I, you know, it's weird. I, sci-fi is a fickle thing for me. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I love Star Wars. I liked Firefly. Sci-fi has got to hit like the right note for me in order for me to really enjoy it. A lot of those, I, I don't want to call them second-rate sci-fi shows, but to me, they're just like not quite up to the standards of you know Star Trek and above. From Facebook, Ray Borg writes in: Thank you, Priority One, for the coverage at New York Comic Con on everything Star Trek. Well, Captains, that wraps up episode 433 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list of shows. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters, like Diana Gunter. Darnell Dwayne Ross, 
David K. Rutley, Joshua Selig, and Peter Archibald. And before we go, here's our community questions for this week. What was your favorite piece of Star Trek news from New York? Was it the trailers, the release dates, the newest short trek? Let us know. Also, now that the new STO Patrol UI has had a little time to settle in, how do you feel about the new system and the new patrols? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in our conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by just opening up your favorite podcast app and do a search for Roddenberry. There you'll find us and our friends on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 8 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters and me and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all SEO players, new and old. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Captains, before we let you go, we want to invite you to Ticonderoga, New York on October 19th. Several members of the Priority One team will be taking a tour of the original series set created by James Cawley. Hang out with members of the Priority One team for a tour, and then we'll find a place afterwards to hang out and play some Star Trek games. For more information, visit us at facebook.com forward slash Priority One podcast and let us know if you'll be there. We'll even have some cool giveaways. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including William Hardy, Brandon Parker, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Roscoe McQueen, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, and associate producer, Shane Hoover. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Sue, no. Engage.
Transfer complete. This week on Priority One, we trek out Star Trek's New York Comic Con. Op- this monk, this mon- monk, this, this monk, this monk, do monks hum? I don't remember. They chant. Oh, that's what they do. Right. Yeah, my part. There's a whole other page to this document. Now, <laughs> that didn't work. If you want to wake up in a city that doesn't sleep. Nah, I won't sing it. Don't worry. happens down here you get one question and then they're right. like wrap it up so you just don't <laughs> on our facebook sorry and the woof network look i would do this part but apparently somebody's gone crazy and they were so good all night up to now squirrel carcass podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network